0: Indicator. Welcome to You Talking with Greg. Uh, I'm here with Dr. Nick Latanzio, a good friend of mine uh, who has been involved in TOK society for quite some time. He's a psychologist, uh, a wisdom philosopher of sorts, especially in certain Eastern traditions. Uh, Has a really fascinating perspective that he shared with us in the early TOK community. Uh, And we're here to learn about him, his vision, non-dual empiricism, and uh, see what it jams with you talk and whatever else we might uh, circle into. Hey, Nick. Welcome, friend.
1: Hey, Craig. Thanks for the intro there. Uh, Yeah, hopefully, well, as we'll see, hopefully uh, not too much knowing about me, but knowing about non-duality, right? Wonderful. Wonderful.
0: Well, let's get, uh, I do invite folks, uh, you know, the structure of the show is at least to start. Uh, In my own clinical background, I always start with a little bit of a narrative about how you got here and kind of then quickly getting into your version of reality well as quickly as you like in relation so folks can get oriented
1: of course yeah so um, i guess the every time i give myself like a, a narrative it always goes differently so let's see what this happens as uh well self then, is context nick you know you're an act practitioner <laughs> I, I am so, i mean so the start of the story is probably not the best start of the story though so I, I would say my the content of me being a, as as a non dual theorist of sorts is is, is relatively new. Mm. I would say that that's me and non duality as such go back maybe like actually at this point probably close to ten years. So it's not as as fleeting as it once seemed, but it, it okay. definitely um, wasn't the start of my own like philosophical pursuits. So Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been interested in the way that people think and the way that you know, why do people do what they do, um, particularly from the perspective that people seem to do a lot of really dumb things. It um, <laughs> don't work and they keep doing <laughs> it. Right, right, so um, just having an interest in that and I wanted to understand that and, um, and a lot of it was very, very egotistical for me um, because I really wanted to understand it in 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 a way that i could stop it
0: oh so you did a few foolish things
1: <laughs> oh more than a few
0: yeah <laughs> we've all ever share of that particular right.
1: pool i'm sure but. um so basically i wanted to to i i was like a mad scientist in a way for for a while my philosophy on the world was very misanthropic it was <laughs> i don't like humankind i think we do a lot of bad things i think <laughs> we do more harm than good especially to ourselves um, I, this came from from experiences of me being bullied pretty chronically, Okay, of course, over pretty trivial reasons growing up. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, while I don't really carry any of that baggage anymore, um, the internalization of it all, it, it had me on a mission. There was a point where I was very defeated and, and mm-hmm. not not satisfied not happy with life not doing much about it though Mm. and then a a switch kind of flipped one day I call it my my existential realization where I I just had this sort of thought that was like uh, only I'm I'm the only one that can control what does and what does not affect me Hmm. and it kind of it it empowered me in a way I know obviously Mm -hmm. that that's only true to a certain extent um Mm -hmm but that, Is that kind that of like be, a
0: stoic fundament would you characterize yeah, it kind of a core stoic absolutely. insight okay.
1: mm-hmm. absolutely was stoic um and then that's what really sort of gave me the motivation then to really pursuing knowledge um, mm-hmm. and then with the pursuit of knowledge about how uh,
0: what what age were you just to kind of put yeah, it in a so lifespan right,
1: right around the there. end of middle school i would have oh, been okay. going 15 years old around then okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. gotcha uh, so i would have been thinking about a lot of this stuff kind of loosely for I mean the majority of my life, but, but slowly putting it into more concrete terms as I went through uh, middle school and then in high school is when I was basically really introduced to realities the way I see it. Okay. And yeah, so from there, that just the pursuit of knowledge has taken me down down the rabbit hole, and oh. I've made a little home down here, and I like to stay here. <laughs>
0: right. All right. Fantastic. You want to say just a little bit about like kind of what are some of the major influences that uh, you find yourself grabbing a hold of? And then if there are key is- insights that you're accumulating toward non-dual empiricism, that yeah. might be useful.
1: Yeah. yeah. So um, one of the first ones was, was Aldous Huxley, um, just a brilliant, brilliant person. I, interestingly enough, I'll just say this is that I I, I don't think I've I've certainly met and had influential people that were a big part of my life um like actually in person but most of my greatest teachers in life are people that have long been dead and never mm-hmm. were alive when I was alive mm-hmm. um, and I think that's just kind of my interpersonal style um mm-hmm. leading into it but uh so a lot of these individuals are are hopefully ones that, that others can relate to. I'm, I'm sort of a, a half-baked scholar in that sense. I know a, a little bit about a lot. Um, so Aldous Huxley was a-
0: I consider myself of, a fully baked scholar. So <laughs> <laughs> don't. Uh, but but we'll, we'll pass on that pun for now. So uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Huxley, uh, do, yeah. anything in particular that obviously is an influential figure? Well, for you?
1: what was really influential for me with him was the perennial philosophy he was my introduction to the perennial philosophy um and i never really fully understood or or, or was able to to um even finish the book as a teenager um his his book the perennial philosophy obviously Mm -hmm. talking about more than that just that but it really really got me thinking about this on a more metaphysical level i was not just so straightforward black and white dualism. There's more to it than that. Mm. Uh, and then life kind of went on hold as I went through um, undergrad and then dealt with what undergrad is, which isn't always fun. Um, but sometimes it's too much fun. <laughs> so not a lot of studying as much as I would have liked. Um, and then in, in graduate school, particularly during my training, when I'm being more and more exposed to other people's suffering and just in, in new ways being introduced to my own suffering, uh, I, I was feeling, I was going through a bit of another existential crisis of sorts. Okay. I called it my quarter life crisis. Hmm. Um, and that one night I, I had an Alan Watts clip just come up on, on YouTube hmm. and then it was, it was, <clears throat> just one of his mashed up clips but it really spoke to me like it, it just kind of opened my eyes to this whole being connected to the universe it was one, one of his lines and there was uh what you are doing is what the whole universe is doing at the place you call here and now nice. and that just, I mean straight to the core was like whoa mind-blowing right. at the time right. uh, still is like a mind-blowing concept but you know, obviously at this point not new uh, so, going from Alan Watts, I dabbled with Terence McKenna. I dabbled mm. with uh, uh, Ram Dass's, is my boy. Muji, Sri Muji is he. He did the most in terms of actually experientially giving me techniques mm. and things that that mm-hmm. w- woke me up out of a deep sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eckhart Tolle, I mean, Jim Carrey, Ken Wilber, of course, academics, um, going back into like Adi Sankara, um, S- Siddhartha, Gautama Buddha, uh, it's the original Buddha that is, um, you name it. I could just list a bunch of names, really, but those are probably the biggest ones for me.
0: Good. And in terms of kind of concepts that people may be able to grab a hold of, were there uh, sort of key insights or you mentioned sort of the Stoic, you know, gripping of initially or there were there and then I really like that. Maybe you can spend a little bit of time yeah. on the Alan Watts quote for just to make sure people have a sense of how that gripped you and shifted your perspective.
1: Yeah. So I guess kind of starting with then the Stoic thing and, and I, we got to make sure that we understand Stoicism is not cynicism. That is a very common misunderstanding, <clears throat> even within the Stoic community um that stoicism is is very much like a non-dual theology it is or maybe a, a philosophy rather um it's about allowing for experience phenomenology to, to occur for for anything to occur and essentially to be non-reactive to it and that's that's like straight up taoism right there yeah. um non-interference and, and a lot of people mistaken for cynicism like kind of like swallow your emotions, don't show your emotions. It's kind of macho Western mentality. Right, absolutely A lot Not of people misconstrue
0: that. Check yeah. out John Verbeke's uh, Awakening Meaning Crisis. I think it's episode 14 where he distinguishes the cynics from the Stoics. I may get that episode wrong, but it's on there. You can Google it.
1: <laughs> I'm glad that John's talking about it. He's probably going to hit a lot more people with that than I am. So good, <laughs> good to get the knowledge out. Because I mean, it, those are important concepts. I mean, they introduced a lot. Um, so, so at that point, I had the understanding that um, okay, like these things are just going to happen and they will affect me, but I don't have to be so, so bitter about it. I don't have to be so resentful about it. It doesn't have to be somebody's fault. Mm. It doesn't have to stop me from doing the things that I want to do in life. Um, and, and it's very easy to get caught up in that game where they stop you from doing everything that you want to do and they turn you into the opposite of the kind of person that you feel you are and and against your own values and your own best interests, and and yeah it pulls you apart from the inside out all right right, so then i had the alan watts thing which was more like guess what buddy you're not even you Mm. you're you're not even the you 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 think you're some separate thing from the rest of the universe you think that you're you're born into this world no way you're a grape growing from a tree Mm -hmm. you are a wave of the stream you are A cloud in the sky you are you are not you you are only separate insofar as you cannot step outside of your own individual experience of the Uh world embodied experience of the world i can't jump into your body Uh in insofar as is that is the case i am separate from you but other than that we are rooted in the same we are one in the same our essence Uh is the same Uh Uh, and and that really brought about the you know all the the peak experiences the universal connection mm-hmm. the, all of the, the mm. frankly all of the things that i had been waiting to experience my entire life huh. um, and and a bit overpowering i'll i'll be the first to admit i've had my my run in with a few episodes of, of psychosis and symptoms of which and there was some overlap there okay. um, i i th- I think there are some good ways to distinguish between spiritual experiences and psychotic experiences, but I think again there's a lot of overlap, and at some points they're not that different. Right. Um, Right. Mm. So this was that one was a little, maybe a little bit of both for me because it kind of knocked me off my rocker too. Mm. Um, And then Muji was the non-duality guy that I just stumbled upon it was like a, a video of him and Eckhart Tolle and Sadhguru, um, like just three like split audio clips and, and Muji was talking about one uh, thing with fear and like working with fear and trying to hide. I, I can't remember exactly how it spoke, but it, it just resonated to the core. Um, and, and then his technique, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about when we're talking about trying to apply some of, of non-dual empiricism to our daily lives, Uh, was the practice, the technique of uh, self-inquiry and then self-abidance, which is the who am I or who is asking.
0: Right. Um, Very powerful. Good. Yeah. Let's, um, we'll certainly flag that and come back. I'm sure people want to, one of the advantages of this conversation, I, I hope we can leave folks with not just some concepts, but maybe some ideas about things that they might.
1: Yeah. If if we leave here with having only discussed concepts, then I have failed tremendously. Okay, all right. Um, so I mean, yeah, I guess with that, I'll go into into what like non-do empiricism kind of is. Um, okay. mm-hmm. to address your your one of the, one of the points you would made there, how much of this is like me advancing other knowledge, and how much mm-hmm. of it is my own? It's okay. very it, it's a great question because yeah, this goes back thousands of years. This is some of the oldest knowledge that we have. Um, and take that for what you will, in terms of, you know, it being like old religious talk and you know, mumbo jumbo. You know, we used to think that people having um, seizures were demonically possessed and we would do trephination to try and let the demon out. And, and what do you know it? When you jab a hole in somebody's skull, the, the seizures stop. Mm. So it must have cured the demon, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of knowledge like that when we go back that far. But this this kind of knowledge, this deeper wisdom, what I will often refer to as Eastern wisdom, um, has stayed unchanged, really, except maybe in the terms used to describe it. It's really stayed the same throughout the course of history, and that says something when we've gone through a number of different um, totally. sense-making revolutions. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's very very there's a
0: ground of wisdom here perhaps for sure sure. and 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 that's or or sustainable
1: yep and that's what i don't want to even get too far from that because that that is the main point if you want if you can understand take away the main point of of what you know non-duality is i mean the main uh principle so to speak uh you don't really need much more than that because they like uh, therapy, such as acceptance and commitment therapy, it can really be applied to just about any issue you have mm. um, or, or any position that you find yourself in in life. Uh, and and that to me is where it's more my version of it. Mm. So when I say non-dual empiricism, I'm talking about, and, and we'll probably get into a bit of maybe a little of the history of the, of the shift in empiricism, mm. but just r- given more credence if not reclaiming, I don't know that it needs to be reclaimed, but giving more credence to that first-person direct experience as right. a valid way of knowing something, uh, which throughout history had, had been devalued, um, in, in in the, you know, the, the greatness of, of observation made itself known, um, and, and and just being able to go back to your own direct experience, I think was something that. We can't ever exclude it, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I mean that, that quite literally. We can't step outside of our own experience, and that includes measuring something. And a lot of people have spoken to that with what they call the, um, the quantum revolution, uh-huh. I think came after that, that shift to third-person empiricism. Um, and if I'm jumping all over for those watching, sorry, this is me actually kind of trying to embody what, what non-dual empiricism is, as as a living philosophy it's a, it's a process um a process metaphysics so i'm i'm essentially allowing whatever movements phenomenological material whatever you want to call them doesn't matter I'm, I'm not putting language to it i'm not putting concepts to it i am on autopilot right now i'm i'm just as ug krishnamurti would say I, i'm like uh one of those sensor machine guns i'm just it's just happening and I'm, I'm doing what I can to not really do anything to mm. just get it in its way uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and through yeah. that hopefully I stay relatively coherent um, mm. typically we find ourselves in the same position as if we had put a whole ton of thought into it mm. And and so the point to take away there is that non-conceptual knowing direct experience and just allowing for that, that process to take place without the use of concepts um, simplifies a lot of what we do. Mm. It it really reduces the amount of energy and thus the amount of stress and competition and from their entropy. entropy.
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, Yeah. So this, this grew this foundational insight was absolutely central uh you know to like you say eastern wisdom yeah, you you've got kind of gotten a hold of it in your version of non-dual empiricism uh, mm-hmm. grew over the last like five years did i hear that kind of like in terms yeah. of like so, sort of like and so you now have a formulation not necessarily to be <laughs> conceptual about it but but at least an embodiment uh that you can then present and share uh in relation
1: and, and certainly more as a technique than as a philosophy, the more that I try to put it into words, the harder it gets to put into words. Yeah. I probably created like four or five different word documents just to try and, and bullet point what I thought the main ideas were for non-dual empiricism. And well, each of those are at least four pages now. Uh, so some of that is, is obviously me just still needing to organize the ideas better. Um, but part of that speaks to this being a process philosophy in that it's not going to remain fixed
0: are you using that like in a whitehead sort of way or just a more general flowing i mean there's there's different ways in which you might interpret so i'll just ask that
1: so i am a big fan of a.n whitehead um and and he is basically my introduction to process ontology Um, so in in that sense yeah it, it is it's the one um and correct me if, if I'm misunderstanding Whitehead's um, uh, way of, of seeing it, but it's, it's just that one sort of ground of being, if you will, that manifests, it's the same thing, but it just manifests differently. It's, it's what um, Buckminster Fuller used, the, the analogy of, of the of the rope made of different uh, mm. material. And it's mm-hmm. the same rope, it's the same pattern throughout, but it's made of here itself, then it's um, hemp. then it's, well, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's mm-hmm. all the different materials are just different dances that the same basic energy is doing, mm-hmm. different organizations of it, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. particles, for example. Right.
0: <clears throat> yes. Uh- one way to potentially, well, I'll put a U-Talk spin on it and just we can just set a reference. Uh, so there's sort of structural mechanistic understandings. So sort of like, oh, how do we understand uh, the, you know, everything's billiard balls all the way down. And then there's a, there's a crank system like a clock. And then we can work, work to understand the reductive structural mechanism of change this way. Okay. Uh, so that's a, that's a reductive physical mechanistic structural position. Uh, behavior, uh, the term that I use a lot, of is definitely a much more holistic unfolding verbal uh, kind of meaning as in like, you know, uh, the, we use verbs to describe uh, the unfolding wave of causality in particular types of events. And then the form of the dance of that patterning uh, would be the, the, the emphasis as opposed to the inside structural mechanism that you try to reduce to some sort of ideological
1: you know, part. I mean, I guess you could, if you want to put the emphasis there on that that basic part, you could, but that would take away from the process aspect of things. So right, it, right. It I'm just on, on, just yeah. in some ways to
0: just kind of juxtapose different kinds of emphases yeah. or yeah. framings or modeling. So, yeah,
1: yeah, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so, th- I guess the way I like to see uh, this non-dual empiricism. Are you familiar with time crystals?
0: Not exactly. No.
1: It's, a, it's a fairly new concept, uh, actually a fairly new discovery. They are a physical thing. Um, it's not what the title is. It's not saying that time itself is a physical thing. Um, and I'll do my best to just briefly explain kind of what it is here. I'm not a physicist, so. <laughs> uh, but what it, it's it's like a. Uh, it's It's like being in superposition um Mm. a note here somewhere it's like a certain it's like a a a level of reality even basically being in a superposition where at one point in time instead of it flipping to like when i say it i mean um like an atom Mm -hmm. uh, a neutron or an electron even to be more specific typically it would be an electron um they will pattern, if you look at a crystal, they will pattern out in a very specific way in right. space. They pattern out in space. So what a time crystal is, is a crystal that patterns out in time, hmm. meaning that it will literally shift its the, the physical properties will remain the same, but their positioning, their their organization and thus the way that they communicate and interact will shift periodically at times without the system losing any energy. It's really weird, we don't fully understand it yet, there's cool studies about it coming out, um, but but it will literally shift and be a different thing, uh, and, and it's super microscopic, of course, we don't see them, uh, but they have measured it as a physical thing, so they know that it's actually there, uh, and, and so what I see, see this as is a philosophy of that sort, where it's the same component at every level of reality, at every level of complexity even, it's just that at certain, or or with certain organizations of those properties, um, it allows for different types of emergence. And I think the different types of emergence represent the different joint points, more or less.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So you're you're basically sort of a fractal stack here.
1: Mm
0: you know, uh, and putting a particular frame on that fractal stack. And, and ultimately, some kind of connection of a process being through the stack and maintaining uh, presence with that or, or, or orientation within that, as opposed to perhaps sort of some gripping belief value needing interpretation me being separate, and then I'm kind of kind of control the stack. Um, if I'm gonna then get into what would be a normal dual or whatever framing that you are now, you know that you grew away from that we all get generally socialized into as human beings that are like, oh, you're a person, you have a little soul or whatever, and you're different, and then you have to responsibly control, and you should be all these things, and if not, you get all pissed off and try to, you know, manage that.
1: Yes. absolutely um and and i mean i could i couldn't agree with the way that you you said that more you've been caught my my little point there were normal it's it's only normal insofar as we've been conditioned that way right um and and i i think that's again one of the main points of of non-do empiricism in terms of being able to live it is that you are returning to something you were returning to something that is already there that you already are and I guess in a perspective were um, you're returning to that thing to better be the self that you think you are now hmm. or better and better be it by the definition or by the, the better for the thing not for you hmm not for the not for the relative you necessarily bad things happen to people mm-hmm. hmm. does that make sense
0: um i think we can circle around it i i, I mean i'm certainly uh yeah i mean i the, the, there's a general fundamental shift in the way in which we're organizing uh our relationship to being in the world That's mm-hmm. what i'm hearing
1: yeah well in, in being
0: in the world is, or being, being of
1: world. the world, uh, being, being the world, yeah, being the world. of the world, uh, being in the world, yeah, yeah, yeah being right. in alignment with that, being right. one with nature, so to speak. Right.
0: Yeah, let's go back to the Let's say the Alan Watts quote again, and now and revisit that, and see if if we yeah. can now uh, take some of these notions and then embody them a little bit. So the Alan yeah. Watts quote
1: was, um, "What you are doing." is what the universe is doing at the place you call here and now right so us here having this conversation is yeah on, on the relative person culture plane of existence it is Nick and Greg having a conversation about ultimately potentially super meaningful stuff maybe meaningless stuff just word stuff quantum yeah so Christ. that's on one one level um but ultimately we are extensions of that 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 innate cosmic intelligence whatever yeah. again whatever okay. would you want to put to it that, that fundamental thing that that, that fundamental thread mm-hmm. uh, we're just extensions of it doing what it is going to do mm-hmm. and, and because we our, at least in our experience, you know, we don't, we, we feel like we're totally independent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that creates a lot of different complications and ultimately emergent aspects of existence too that are useful for us. Um, but it it's a very easy way to forget that this, and I want to be careful to not go right into a whole free will debate about it, all right that's where my mind wants to go (laughs) Um, but but it kind of goes to that there's there's more driving what we do Mm -hmm. that's related directly to the core of existence itself
0: right um here's a thought that's coming to mind sometimes philosophers will talk about hey the the real you you're essentially thrown into the world okay and then we have this self-reflection oh my gosh i'm now aware of being thrown into the world and then it's like oh wait i'm me and now I'm going to then drive this looping function to separate myself and create, you know, an ego, we'll say, justify an ego on top of that. And then it's like, now that's what I am. Okay. And mm-hmm. sort of what I'm hearing is sort of like, uh, no, that's kind of a delusion or that's just an unfolding. And we want to throw ourselves back into the world almost.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And, and, that's why they call it waking up, seeing through mm-hmm. the illusion or that in, in many ways it would be a delusion. Um, or the the grandest delusion. I mean, there's no, there's no more uh, delusion of grandeur, I think, than thinking that, that out of this vast universe that we know virtually nothing about, if we're being really brutally honest with ourselves, that you think that that we are that important. That's pretty grandiose that that the universe is doing all this for us. Mm -mm. I, I, I don't, I don't see any evidence that suggests that to be the case. So, yeah, it, it's it's being th- if you define yourself as being thrown into this world a, a narrative that tells you a lot right there about how you see yourself in place to the world. And, and if you see yourself as a victim, as, as somebody that's, you know, I didn't choose to be born. Well, you're, you're asking for that is literally choosing the box labeled suffering. And it's separation because you're seeking knowledge then too. You're seeking um, a conceptual understanding of, well, you or yourself in that way are a concept. So it's a concept, seeking a concept, and it just won't work.
0: And so um, sort of for you then that this process is very much, you were saying it's a more, much more about the embodied um, being of it as it were. Um, and so, you know, rather than sort of like, I mean, you talks this whole conceptual structure and all this other stuff, and, you know, it's got a lot to say about embodiment, but then, uh, it's a logos, uh, definitely architecture. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about this from a non-dual uh, empirical perspective. Let's make sure we get into some of the things that you see this as in carry in terms of its implications for, um, like maybe the work that you do as a psychologist. Um, or some messages that you have for people in relationship to how to be in the world or or suggestions how not to be in the world, if we're going to, you, know, yeah. uh, you know, various ways. And again, I think even you would say, correct me if I'm wrong, there's, as soon as we start to sort of label things and make judgments and start choosing, um, we're going to notice a little paradox in relationship to whether that in and of itself is sort of enacting some of the things that maybe we're cautioning against, but obviously we also need to be having a conversation so how do we navigate that is tricky
1: it's it's all this is it's adequate communication we're we're just trying to we're trying to control knowledge we're just trying to make sure that you understand exactly what i think exactly the way i think it it's just another another attempt to control things but like you're saying yeah we're just we just allow it to be the case allow ourselves to talk things will still operate on those two levels and we'll be fine we'll still understand each other best for the most part. And if we don't, we'll find that out. And, and I think that's a good way of, of looking at, at, at non-dual empiricism too, is that it's not, uh, we don't have to know. We don't have to know that way. Um, and when I say no, that we often think no conceptually, there are other ways to know. And, and if you're a clinician, I guess I'll, I'll speak to people who have that kind of experience. Maybe first, if, if you have, If you're trained in act, you know the observing self or the conceptualized self. That's very much a similar dichotomy that we are talking about here, except the non-dual self, the ultimate self, the ground of being, would be a context to the observing self. It's like a meta context, so to speak. It is one that we will never actually have an experience of. It is not an experience. It is us. It, it, It is just untouchable. it's beyond all of that um so that aside um we even just want to help people understand that they're more than just their stories Mm -hmm. your story is important but it's just content right it's not a fixed thing Mm -hmm. you don't have to live within the parameters of the page so if i'm reading let's say here i got the spectrum of consciousness right here okay so i'm reading through it blah 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 i, don't know, I can't even find a good thing here but say there's something here that says i have to drink coffee at four thirty three p.m eastern central time okay i have to drink coffee at 4 33 p.m drink my coffee mm-hmm. crap it's four thirty four. now i've failed now my life is, now Now I have to suffer. Now I have to be upset. Think about all the times in our lives that we do that. We get upset just because things didn't go the way that we had expected them to, the way we wanted them to, the way that was consistent with our experience of the world. Then we shut down from there. We need to learn to be flexible with that, de-identify with that content being literally what we are versus being our story. And it allows our story to expand versus stopping that page
0: all right let me throw out uh what i did i did a blog and i want you to then you you commented some about this and we can dialogue a little bit about what <clears throat> you think this may gets right what it gets wrong where where the framing is okay
1: mm-hmm.
0: so i'll share this and then we can go from that in terms of uh maybe edify me on your particular perspective mm-hmm. so people that you know my journey as a psychotherapist um, is what I would consider to be in a psychological mindfulness place. The psychological mindfulness place is to achieve the understanding of, and I'll use my frame here, of the self, the experiential primate self, uh, the ego and the persona, the filters between them. Uh, and in that regard, this is the way in which the structure uh, is going through the world, gripping, hey, this got traumatized. What does this mean to me? And this girlfriend broke up and I was bullied. Um, and who do I want to be in my life, and what's my existential world like, and what am I trying to achieve, you know, Um, and the psychotherapist in me, in terms of what I get trained from a behaviorist to cognitive, humanistic point of view, takes that as okay, takes the basic structure of that as as part of the human condition, um, and then more or less looks for the processes by which maladaptive um, structures, you know, basically the ways in which defenses and beliefs and feelings and habits Um, all then can get trapped in this particular kinds of adjustment adaptive cycles uh, that lead to distress and dysfunction, okay? Uh, And you know this, obviously, you're psychotherapist yourself. And so it's like, oh, well, I want to then help people manage their habits. I want to help them manage their feeling and attachment systems, help them manage their justifications and their place in the world, help people communicate and afford a particular type of psychological mindfulness and reflection uh, so that you can bring awareness to this, uh, bring acceptance to these dynamics, and adaptively change them so that you can achieve better outcomes and more optimal functioning, more fundamental fulfillment. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's my... And then there's this whole other world, okay? uh, this entire other world, the Eastern wisdom tradition in many ways. Uh, Stoicism, of course, has it too, but many of the philosophies basically identify as the problem the fundamental attachments that people bring to bear through these structures, the way in which the self feels about its pride and then grips the whatever is occurring in the world perspectivally or just in awareness itself. is You can separate uh, certainly pretty easily, at least in a naive and simplistic way, although it takes a little practice, you can separate the presencing of the witness function. So here I am on a soccer field, the ball goes through my legs. Okay. There's a particular perceptual witness field in relationship to this. Now I was a goalie. That happened to me a couple of times. What would immediately happen is my felt sense of the primate, like, oh, and then my justifying sense of my dad's a my dad's a coach and you just look at the field and then the entire thing implodes around you and you're like, what a fucking disaster, right? I'm completely embarrassed and this is horrible and I want to hide and I want to, you know, just forget about it or do all sorts of things. Because the injury of that experience is what it means to me. What it ought to have meant is that I should have stayed there, uh, and then I would have been loved. And now I'm not, and now I'm shamed, or by myself, or the team, or and I've let everybody down, and I really care about that. There's another way of just framing it. There's uh, things happen. You know, there's just a process by of existence that unfolded in a particular way. I have access to that in some ways, and really, with training, you can actually shift your beingness to become more identified with that and to recognize the gripping, potentially even delusional gripping of your emotional need for this, your narrative need, your image compression management structures. Um, so that I, I did a blog, so the awareness here, there's the experiential self, the ego and persona. Um, I'll throw that out there and see how that lands for you in relationship to non-dual empiricism and how you might uh, adjust that or critique that or build off of it or
1: whatever yeah and, and I think my critique with that was really I mean a lot of it has to do with and, and you and I have had a number of discussions about this you know we, we come from a basically different ontology mm-hmm. mine more spiritual yours more naturalistic um, although I think probably in the time we've known each other we've both moved closer Uh, it
0: it feels like we're not super far away these days right as far as where i would say but
1: anyway um so I think,
0: it, and I'm not it, a foundationalist. So everyone knows that I don't make it. I'm an agnostic foundationalist. So like, I don't know what the fuck's true. going on. I do grip a hold of a particular natural science world ontological worldview with certain justifications, but it ain't the truth uh, by any stretch. And anybody that knows science really in a sophisticated way would know that science itself is not a foundationalist epistemology. But anyway,
1: go ahead. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I guess my my uh, were contradicted for me was on this basic level of pure awareness. And I think we actually might have different definitions for what that is, the in the blog, it seemed that you were equating that pure awareness with sort of just your bare sense perception. So pure awareness is, it is in the research on this is fairly telling, but it's also, um, relatively nascent. So there's a lot left to be done and and better understood. And even the way that they describe, um, pure awareness in the research, uh, they have a hard time saying that it is separate from consciousness. In fact, a lot of times they'll just use interchangeably the words awareness and consciousness. Um, and I, I think that's a distinction that I don't, or I do make is, is that consciousness is not awareness. Awareness can be conscious, can be unconscious, um, it can be pre-conscious or non-conscious if you want to try to use those words for it. Um, it's, it is present regardless of any sort of conscious content, which would include sense perceptions. And it can use those um, for sure. And that, that is right. definitely a deeper, more metacognitive place of being than, than we would before. And that, that to me, I think is more just like the true act Right,
0: right right and if you use like a, if we go back to some of whitehead process metaphysics this awareness you can kind of think about it as like going through the stack if i hear heard you correctly right Deep and beyond to the you know all the way down and above and and just um not located here and might may, and maybe mind culture space if we use tok but we're actually talking about a different and more transcendent kind of
1: it's not medical. local yeah exactly so um, you had a conversation a few weeks ago with Bernardo Castro. Yes. Um, he has a very, very similar uh, okay. philosophy to mine. There are a few distinctions. One of them is this notion of panpsychism. Mm. Um, I don't want to, I'm not as familiar with his work as, as I would, would. I don't want to make too, too hard of claims here, but um I think he was advocating for more of a panpsychist position.
0: Not quite. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he really supports panpsychism that much, uh, but it's, it's complicated, and there are different variants of that, uh, and, but uh, his analytic idealism uh, is is a little different than most standard versions of panpsychism, and he makes that distinction. Sure. Some. But anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and I totally agree with his comments about how it is – it doesn't have to disagree or, or, or conflict in any way with third-person empiricism. Mm-hmm. It, re- it really has, honestly, it, it has nothing to do with it except as allowing it to maybe be an emergent and a an advanced evolutionary form of observation, mm-hmm. right? Now we can see, now we can measure what we see. That's progress, that's evolution. So that, that there's no reason why that can't fit within any of these systems. Um, but there's the notion that I don't hear brought up enough, which is panentheism, P-A-N-E-N, sure. mm-hmm. theism. Yep. So it, it's everything is conscious, but then there's this thing that's beyond all of it that encompasses it and is it. And that is a true non-dual um, okay. mm-hmm. place. And
0: Spinoza you're... is sort of the first panentheist, right? Is that is, in terms of, well, Maybe that's where it, I hear, I hear that word. For that word as such, I believe, right? Up, uh, I hear that word get applied to him, I
1: believe. Yeah, I, I, I he's for sure, I mean, he's for sure panantheist, but. Um, right, uh, maybe in
0: terms of, if we're talking about sort of the Eastern, uh, you know, wisdom traditions, maybe thousands of people for thousands right. of years in some ways have been had that frame, okay.
1: Right, um, and ultimately, whether we've known it or not, we've all had that frame forever. <laughs> <Like> <laughs> I would purport
0: Right. This is the ontology of being itself.
1: So there it is. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what point I was going after with that, but that's really my model of mind is a pan- panentheist model of mind or model of self, really all is the self. And you'll hear that in Advaita Vedanta, the Hindu tradition that most of my knowledge and training comes from, um, which is a non-dual tradition. It's like the Hindu equivalent of Zen Buddhism. Okay. Um, it, all is the self, everything, all manifest, all unmanifest. It's all the self, which is the Hindu God, word for God. It's, it's the core of us that is connected to um, that, that ground of being. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think Jung's frame, uh, you know, certainly dipped some into that. Are, are you influenced by Jung, you know, in relationship to that?
1: Or- yeah, um, because I'm such a disorganized thinker, especially do I blame my ADHD for that but is what it is I have a hard time reading you like most people. I do. say I can't read
0: young <laughs> you know so it, uh,
1: it, yeah but but yes absolutely and if, if you um, know it's not always reported as being part of his 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 own history but he spent some time in India working with sages and actually one of the sages that he or or mystics or saints of of these Eastern traditions. Um, One of the ones that he went out of his way to spend time with, and I think he got really, really ill on this trip too, uh, was um, he went to see, well, I can't think of your name, man. You're the master of my master's master. There was Muji, there was Papaji, and then there was Ramana Maharshi. Thank you. There's non-dual knowing in its finest. It'll come to you. Just give it a chance. Um, so he went and saw, he went and saw, um, did I really just forget it again? He went and saw Ramana Maharshi and learned from him because he was well, well known at the time as being like, like, this is the guy to go to see. This is the mystic right now. And then this is the 1930s, 40s, maybe um so they're both a little bit older um and, and yeah so you you definitely went into non-dual philosophy and it is absolutely applied to his um his way of, of thinking about psychology you think about synchronicity he's literally with synchronicity he is actually talking about things occurring uh that are transcending time and space and, and there's not very empirical um research studies to that, that talk about that a lot and it will equate it with like efforts many worlds uh, you know the infinite mm, sure. possibilities kind of thing mm-hmm. and there's something to be said for that i think um nothing that we could make even close to a solid third person empirical claim about but right but mm-hmm. if we can't write it off from that perspective either mm-hmm. So, yeah. Right,
0: and that's actually just something for people in the background, you know, and this is actually a point I'm making in my book quite a bit, uh, this term empirical, you know, uh, absolutely needs to be differentiated from the situated first person in, uh, experience of qualitative experience of being, uh, and then whatever we want to ground ourselves in relationship to that, uh, lots of different philosophies, uh, the emergence of modern empirical natural science grabs a hold of the word empirical and transforms it into a systematic third person intersubjectively agreed objective statement that's going to place you uh, basically to watch the universe, I would argue, as an unfolding wave of behavior. Bernardo Castro argues that explicitly also. Um, and then situates basically a epistemological structure that's exterior and gives rise to a descriptive metaphysics that's then going to be object field relation over time uh, by the virtue of the game that it plays, language game. Uh, and that does say a lot about what it's going to mean in relationship to certain kinds of uh, things like first-person qualitative experience. A lot of people would say, and I would be one of them, is that it's going to create a lot of difficulties in playing with that phenomenon. The yes. language game will be limited in that regard.
1: And, and that's where the research right now on, on non-dual awareness, which when I say non-dual awareness, that in research that is interchangeable with pure awareness. Um, so they, they do, um, I think it's Aaron Josipovich is one of the lead researchers. They're the one that I, I go to the most. Um, yeah. They, they've got a lot of good research that, that talks about the neuroscience of it too that they're looking at. Um, so they can see, for example, that there is this quality of, of awareness that is present that is equivalent to um, I don't know if you're familiar with these. They call them a blank dream or a white dream. Um, mm-hmm. I've had one of these in my life. You, It's basically a, you, you are aware, not quite conscious, but enough to have like a memory, like a, a legitimate memory of being in deep sleep, mm-hmm. of, of no phenomena in your consciousness whatsoever, mm-hmm. nothing. And, and we all experience that every night when we go into deep sleep. Um, we don't typically, we have a, an awareness that we are there, but it's not it's not an awareness that occurs within the confines of what I'll say here, the confines of the brain, essentially. It's not within time and space when we're that, that, that awareness that is present in deep sleep is viewing time and space. It is not in it. And that's why we don't have any kind of memory of it because it's, there's nothing there.
0: It's certainly my understanding that some uh, really advanced meditators and other yogis and other things uh, are able to report this capacity to maintain presence with awareness through virtually all phases of conscious, uh, you know, conscious fluctuation, including deep sleep itself.
1: Yeah. Um, and it's, it's absurd. We we don't know how to explain it. We don't know even what, what it totally means because we're talking about like hundredfold increases in the parts of your brain that allow for empathy, for example. Like just ridiculous increases, things that we didn't think the brain was capable of generating that that kind of 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 amplitude in in, in any of its areas. Like it, it just it exceeds all modern understandings of what we thought the brain was, was capable of even doing. Um, I shouldn't say all so broadly like that, but, but it, it's pretty eye-opening stuff. And, and I've wrote a few things down from some of these uh, long-term and, and specifically non-dual awareness um, meditators or, or people that, that go towards that deep. Because when we say non-dual awareness or meditating towards it, it's pretty much the deepest place you can get to it's it's there there are like mindfulness meditation for example i hate the word mindfulness because it means so many different things it's a very confusing word but i will mostly use mindfulness as as what we would call a focused attention practice you are training your ability to pay attention to things or to not pay attention to certain things okay Um, and that 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 is a cultivation that allows you then to go on to deeper forms of meditation such as uh, vipassana where you're just paying attention to the ever-folding um, experience of, of creation, of existence. You're just watching it uh, without labels or judgment or just watching the natural labels and judgment. Um, so then you get to down to these levels of non-dual awareness. So you're seeing, you'll see some benefits with each of these meditations. Like I'll, I'll actually have my ADHD clients do just basic focused attention meditation count your breath, count, if you can't count 10 breaths, well, I can't expect you to do much, I mean, that's not that hard, so let's go from 10 breaths to 15 breaths, that's progress, that's a way to use meditation to objectively measure progress, because it will, if they do it, it cultivates their ability to pay attention, um, so you'll see very specific Uh, benefits to different practices and and all once we get into like the constructive practices like loving kindness meditations then we start to really see the empathy increase um or tibetans have uh um the words aren't really in my mind at the moment but there's a very specific meditation tonglen t-o-n-g-l-e-n tonglen meditation uh where you In more or less words or different ways, maybe you breathe in the suffering of the world and exhale your own healing. Mm. You know, I'll I'll take on your suffering. Take on the pain and Mm. uh, disperse compassion or or felt. Yep. Yep. And and it really, I mean, lights up the brain, lights it up in terms of of empathy. Uh, and, And as soon as they stop practicing for, maybe a week or so at a time, just like lifting weights or something. If you don't lift weights, you're going to lose muscle mass within a few weeks. Uh, If you don't meditate, you're going to start – their levels of empathy start to decrease within a few weeks. Uh, So we are training a a sort of spiritual awareness muscle here. Um, But I digress to the point of of non-dual awareness that um, when you get there is. I mean, not only does it experientially flip your whole world on its head, but here, here's some of the, the neuro findings that I, that I thought were pretty salient. Um, sustained prefrontal alpha coherence. That's what you're talking about when you're talking about their maintaining this state. The alpha wave state, for those who don't know, that's, that's your basic wakefulness. That is like the, you're not asleep, but you're not even as conscious as Greg and I are per se right now. Um, I'm probably somewhere close to that. Um, but our normal, like active mind consciousness, not the default mode network, even more this task-oriented, um, positive network, it is um, beta waves. Right, and then as we start to fall asleep we start to just relax more. So any like 10 minute meditation or something like that will probably start to increase the frequency and presence of alpha waves. Um, that level will will get maintained. So instead of having beta waves throughout the day, these meditators are going through the whole day in that basic state of wakefulness. Hmm. And and the calmness that comes with that, the sense of equanimity, the physiological effects that go with that. It, it, hmm. Anything that seems intuitive about it has so far manifested to be true when it's been studied. And, and I, I say that very broadly, but I say that pretty confidently too. So, yeah, I think I don't, I don't remember where we started that train of thought, but...
0: I'm not sure. I wanted to, you know, I think people are getting a sense uh, of some of the uh, different angles and ways of being. Were there a particular... We flagged the idea that we wanted to make sure that we would circle into... Um, you know maybe uh, take home or uh, you know again obviously we have to convey through concepts but actually these are preconceptual kinds of notions um, practices, uh, ideas uh, lessons etc things that you would hope individuals might be able to presence or embody or, or take away from in relationship to
1: well so first of all reality need not be justified. It... <laughs> It, it did.
0: That is definitely not a feature of most reality.
1: <laughs> right. So this is, this is the notion. If you, if you know, act, you know, DBT radical acceptance. That's what this is. Like as I would tell patients and clients, reality doesn't give a shit about your preferences. It happens. It just happens. And if you, if you want to define yourself as being thrown into it, fine, good luck. Have fun swimming up, upstream. You're going to, you're going to get tired. But if you just allow yourself to be a part of that process and go with the flow, go with the universe, even though it's gonna be difficult. That 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 is what life does, if you haven't noticed, right? Like it, it's more often than not, it just tends to be difficult. And we can make it so much simpler and easier if we just go with it. And that doesn't mean to, that doesn't mean that you're backing down on, on things. It doesn't mean that you're being flimsy. It doesn't mean that you're backing down on values or or um or do justifications it just means that they're not necessary for that Uh, and and there's a big uh, with the way that we think this goes so against the grain uh, we often think well if I'm not having to ensure that I am being productive and uh, a beneficial member of society then I'm probably just going to become some pot-smoking leech on society It's not true it's not it's just not true um, if, if it were true, we would see a lot more people being pot smoking leeches on society, mm. uh, pretty much everybody, because you no, none of us are really doing these things to begin with. You, you think you are, but that's, that's the idea of you. That's your story. Mm. Um, so w- w- with, with non-dual empiricism with, it is trusting yourself so fully to the process of the universe being identified as, as the universe over being identified as just your manifest self as part of that universe. You are able to, in Zen, they call it being a cloud person.
0: Mm.
1: It's, It's shapeless. You have no fixed boundaries. Why put yourself in that box? You're just asking for complications where you put a box, you put limitation. There is no real limitation. Um, so we don't need to put concepts to all these things. We don't need to justify all these things. Justification is a necessary thing. It is useful for third-person empiricism. It is useful for generating truth claims about reality as far as we can, you know, the 95, 99% accuracy, uh, 99% chance it's not due to error, really, but uh, that's the best we got right now. And if we're going to actually generate knowledge about ourselves, i.e. reality, then we've got to work with what we got. So there is room for knowledge, but we just don't want to say that knowledge is the measurement. The measurement is not the knowledge. It it is the representation of it. We ourselves are the knowledge. Awareness is knowledge. You cannot be aware of knowledge. It doesn't make sense. It's there. It is what you are. Um, Because if you have it, you do it. And I think this is what kind of Bernardo Kastrup was speaking to. He talks about like um, a lot of third-person empiricisms is more measuring uh, what things do versus what they are. And, sure. and yeah, I think yeah, yeah. That's, the, that's the distinction I think I'm trying to make here. Mm. It, it is we're, we are the thing that we are measuring, and we are confusing it with what we do. Mm. We're identifying ourselves as our behavior. So when I move my arm, I'm saying I'm the one doing it. Not doing it. it just started happening. I did not choose. There's no conscious thought that came into my head that said do that, and and that's the, the super neutral example of that. And and we can have further debates about what you know how factually true that actually is and all that. But I think that most, at least in terms of your direct experience in life, you're not choosing things. Mm. You it, it's just kind of happening, mm-hmm. and, and and whether that's due to unconscious processes or just a natural intelligence of the universe either way it allows us uh, this need for a better understanding of we are not in control mm. and, and and don't try to take control mm. you don't have it it is not it's not it's just not a thing mm-hmm. it, it's it, that is separation right there that's the original sin is trying to control because you are trying to attain something that ostensibly is separate from yourself which is n- nothing is separate
0: Mm. How do you see that connecting or, or not or evolving uh, from the original Stoic kind of set of uh, sort of ideas you have? Do you see them as, uh, you? I could hear them as potentially conflicting uh, with a Stoic notion, but I could also see them in terms of being deeply resonant if you follow a particular line of thread. So I'm just curious what your
1: thoughts are. <clears throat> See, I abandoned this. I abandoned identifying with stoicism a while back. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of because of, of the way that, that I saw a lot of of my fellow stoics falling into this pitfall of, of responsibility that I guess that's where it Mm -hmm. came to me is that why, what are you being responsible for? If you can't tell me what you're actually being responsible for and prove that you're the one responsible for it, then, the the radical non-dualist to me, the UG and Krishnamurti in me says, then shut up about it. Because in radical non-duality, true non-duality, I don't know a damn thing other than I, that I exist. That's it. I am. Whatever God is, whatever reality is, is that I am that. That's all I truly, truly know. And I don't know what it means. I don't know what it is. It's just, I know I am. There is something here. Uh, and, and to me, the, the Stoics never really wanted to shrug off this idea of responsibility.
0: No, definitely, I would certainly. In my understanding of Stoics, is that 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 remains a core feature. I mean, certainly right. Marcus Aurelius in particular, um, but um, absolutely, yeah.
1: So I guess that was a bit of a transcendence of mine. Uh, I yeah. Call it a transcendence. It's maybe Stoics that that'll probably trigger them hilariously. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. Well, we can see that, right. At least in terms of your own evolution, you evolved, no. evolved away. And we can say, maybe you fell off the, you know, where you should be, sure. or maybe, maybe, right, right. Higher. i mean, I fell off. That's whatever right. it happened, it is what it was. So there it is. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we That's can right. say that always. That's right. Yeah. Um, in terms of what your either your clinical practice looks like or your daily practice in terms of how you go. Uh, through the world or maintain your presence along this lines you engage in regular practices do you have things recommendations for people to you know explore you mentioned a lot of meditative practices which, yeah
1: what's so your story like about? throw yourself into them you don't have to the way i see it, it tra- following the non-dual um empirical state of, of mind is, is you are going to go as far down this path as you are meant to go it's not, you're not going to choose to go down it any more than you chose what you wanted to have for breakfast this morning. It's just, you, you, the path will take you as far as it takes you. So dive on into it, try different things. Um, I do a basic um, breathing meditation every morning. I, I will do 10 to 20, 30 second breaths. Um, And I do that as sort of a physiologically regulating thing and and more of an attention regulating thing too, uh, so that I can, uh, it's like the first thing I do when I wake up. So sometimes I'll even, after years of doing this, I'll still even almost fall back asleep, but that's fine. You just, as soon as you lose your, your focus, notice it, bring it back and just keep doing that let your monkey mind chatter away, be frustrated, that's fine, let it do whatever it's going to do, you just focus on sensation, focus on the breath, focus on the counting. if you want to do a guided meditation, go for it, there's Headspace on Netflix now has a couple that are, that are pretty good, there's a ton on YouTube, you really can't go too wrong, just don't think that these things are going to generate some sort of super profound mystical experience, it's never a guarantee, if it happens, great, cool, good for you, that's not the point of these. Mm. That's absolutely not the point of these. The point of these is for self-realization. The point Mm. of these, um, the West has really repurposed a lot of this stuff to make it useful for reducing stress and all these things. And it is, and we can use it for those things, but we have to understand that it is for far more than that. Mm. Um, And in that sense, we gotta be careful because you're gonna open the doors for people that you don't know you're opening those doors for to go down a much deeper path than they might be desiring. Mm. Uh, and that's we have to be careful to not force our own uh, especially therapeutic agenda on somebody else,
0: just
1: considering the amount of overlap with, uh, with, um, with, with the theoretical traditions that we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah.
0: When you encounter uh, frustrations in the world, in your monkey mind or other kinds of elements, you know, which exactly. you probably still do.
1: <laughs> All the time, constantly. Oh, my goodness. I'm still just as much my realizations my peak experiences have not made me any less human than anybody else and there's a lot of gurus and things like that, that they'll tell you that oh, yeah, ever since then i've i've not been an addict and i've been free from all the bullshit i call i call it bs sorry the, the language um <laughs> listen Eric, if that's I, a uh, trouble you, we you got problems realize, <laughs> I think with certain certain gurus um that that i think that they're full of crap but and, and that's been a, a critique for about as long as they've been around, that a lot of them take advantage of this and will make a lot of these claims. Um, now, you'll still be just as human. You'll still get frustrated, but you'll definitely still get scared, but you won't be scared of being scared. You won't get frustrated at your own frustration. You don't build those vicious cycles anymore. If you've ever listened to Russ Harris talk about it, I think Russ Harris does, he's an act uh, therapist, uh, and, and he does. To me, he does a phenomenal job of just talking about the being angry about your anxiety and guilty about your anger, about your anxiety. He can just rattle that off in a very fluid way for me. Um, What's a a
0: basic uh, U talk frame uh, along these lines, which I think is very similar. So it's triple negative neurotic looping, mm -hmm. right? So bad shit happens. You get a bad feeling and then you get a negative reaction to the event and the feeling. And it's that negative reaction that closes the loop and then starts a maladaptive pattern that negative reaction can become a secondary um, you know, feeling on top of feeling. So I fear, fear itself, okay? Or have other inhibitory feelings, anxiety about this. you can going to have defensive reactions. You're going to have justification, internal critic reactions, uh, all sorts of different things. But the whole point of it is, is that that secondary negative reaction on top of the negative event, negative feeling um, is a huge problem. Uh, and from a psychotherapeutic perspective, getting that, inverted out of the way metabolized differently etc um to afford the fail uh, the prevention of the closing of the uh, triple negative neurotic loop and, and an opening of a process that affords growth and responsivity to negative events negative feelings
1: a fundamentally different way and and i'll even say that uh, you know we we, we often want to just replace the negative with positive and that's fine and for some people they can just do that that's not Traditionally, the non-dual way. Mm-hmm. We, we, I say, d- just detach from the whole process. If your body wants to get pissed off, okay, let it get pissed off without you interfering and investing into that. It's it can only go so far, mm-hmm. and then that's going to break the cycle. That's going to break the the entrenchment, and then eventually, it's going to become an extinct process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that again, you won't be triggered. You will, but but. It won't, you don't take things personally anymore because it's not personal. So you might get heated and emotional and passionate in the moment, but it's very, um, it's almost robotic. It's, it's kind of, it's a very different experience of it than when you're identified with the person and very passionate and, and emotional and all that. It's totally different. And I guess one thing I would want to say is, is, is this self-inquiry, is, is this yes, practice uh, I'm of- I'm glad we
0: brought that up. I was wondering about that.
1: So this was the thing that I guess I would say woke, woke me up. This is, this is the one that really just snapped me out of Nick. Uh, and, and it's asking who? It, it, you know, if you do CBT, you do thought records. It's asking, you know, uh, basically everything but who, what, well, when, where, why. Um, so I say, ask who. Who is the eye that says it's suffering? Where is this eye that says that says it's suffering? That says it's anxious. That says it's struggling. That says it can't do this or that or that it can't go up. Where where is that eye? Can you find it? Nobody's ever found it until you until you find it. And, could put it in my hand and show it to me says this is it right here here's here's the culprit then as far as i'm concerned it's as real as an atom and it's real atoms are real but it's just a thought it's is it on this level of reality an atom is meaningless Hmm. in terms of effect an atom isn't going to do anything to me on this level of reality or if it did it's not just one atom it's a bajillion atoms and it, it's experienced differently. I'm never going to attribute things to atoms on this level And the same for, for whatever reason we think we should attribute things to thought, but that's not that it, it's a different level of complexity. It doesn't exist in this plan on the same way, but we have a different kind of experience to it. We have a different kind of access to it that we don't have to things like atoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and perhaps that is an emergent process too, of just being increasingly self-aware, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, time is stacked on top of itself. So all these things in the future, they've already happened. Uh, we're just not up there. <laughs> um, and So anyway, we just ask who? Because if you go looking for the eye that says that it's suffering and you can't find it, then who's suffering? Hmm. It's, a, it's a linguistic problem. You separated yourself out. You put your experience into a box labeled suffering, and you define that as your existence none of that is true are you having an experience that might not be ideal sure definitely i could of course those things happen all the time and we can do something about that we can help you cope with that we can help you that's a different thing um but if you if you're identified with it as you then you're taking it personally and then there's a part of you that isn't going to want to let it go because that's your own existence now why would you want to give your own existence and this is where we see people indulging in their own depression and in, in anxieties and in addictions and, and suffering because they prefer the devil they know to this illusory devil they don't know, which mm. is actually freedom from mm. all of it, mm-hmm. stepping off the wheel of samsara, of suffering. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a very, very experiential practice. I, I encourage people to try it. If not, just look up Muji. It's basically every one of his videos.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and I know Muji. Right? yeah. And, and yeah, Muji, like just about any sage, will have, there are some things about him, accusations, not nearly as many as, as for other people, but I think there's something about somebody having been attacked, um, maybe died even at, at one of his retreats. Um, I don't think it had anything to do with him. But, from my experience, he's a very genuine person. Um, and I'm pretty quick to call out the BS. Uh, so I, I would recommend Muji, I would recommend Rupert Spira, S-P-I-R-A. He is straight up invitest, very, very, very smart, very good at putting things into clear and concise terms, which I am not. Um, uh, Tolle, Ram Das. Ramdas is is uh, everything is awareness, all is the self. He he died a few years back, but I think a lot. He's probably the most popular one of the bunch there. Maybe not Alan Watts, but Ramdas is. Uh, just listening, and you, to him you see
0: their teachings as very congruent with your non dual
1: More than just congruent, because it's non-conceptual. You gotcha. feel it you feel it's the resonance you don't have to think about this person gets me it's just it's that warm fuzzy feeling like oh my goodness like I'm connected Mm -hmm. you 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 feel connected and and it's a very it's a very nice experience I think good um
0: yeah, were there other topics that you wanted to make sure that we got into in relationship to this? I think we've gotten sort of a, a an articulation of of the embodiment processing fractal awareness uh, piece and some yeah. of the things that might afford
1: you know people to uh, be different. So yeah, the 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 I guess just maybe a couple kind of caveat things I want to throw in because of how confusing this can get. Um, when we talk about like cultivation of something you do not cultivate non-dual awareness it is already there it is already it, it can't be cultivated what you're cultivating is a shift you're cultivating your ability to shift off of conceptual knowing off of these more um stratified if you will versions of of awareness of consciousness and and, and towards orienting yourself towards pointing towards that that fundamental you good, good. Mm-hmm. um so it, We have to be be clear about that, because if we're thinking that we're cultivating it, then then we're not doing what we think we're doing. Okay. Um, good. Another one would be. um, A lot of people in mystical traditions have the idea that the world is an illusion. No, the world is not an illusion. You're the illusion. Mm. The idea of you is the illusion. So the world is real, your body is real, that it's, yeah, it's all atoms and stuff on one level and on another level, who knows what the heck it is. But the illusion that is spoken about in these, in these theologies is your person, your idea, your identity. Mm. And to that point where we talk about the meta crisis, this is why I call it the identity crisis. This is a crisis of culture. This is a crisis to the person. This is not a crisis to the planet. This is not a crisis for atoms. This is not a crisis for the universe. This is a crisis just for us. Uh, And and, and we created it. And and we're expected to solve it. And it's it's a throwing yourself in kind of thing to me. That's why I don't think we need to really do anything about it. I think that anything that we do about it is something that we would have done regardless of whether or not we had planned to do it. think other than that, just that you, th- this is supposed to be a freeing thing. So The idea is you can't make a mistake. You really can't. And if, if you think about your past life, all of those times where you've made mistakes that you thought were irreparable or, or maybe that you're still holding over your head, even like if you're, if you're being brutally honest about it, yeah, you can be, you can hold yourself accountable and be critical that um, you got to be constructive still. Um, there's so much more that goes on under the surface that led to all of these things happening the way that they're happening. You are exactly the way that you are right now, only because everything before now happened exactly the way that it did. And the chances that everything before now happened exactly the way that they did are infinitesimally small. So this is all a miracle. This is all just beyond us it is absolutely beyond us we will never be able to truly capture it with concept we can use concept to get to the next level hopefully um and 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 see it more clearly but but don't ever think that you're making a mistake and again don't don't use that as an excuse to to not hold yourself accountable um but your mistakes are what are what leads you to the knowledge it is the deficit that allows for new creation we can't have neg entropy which allows for creation without entropy there has to be the space in order for us to put something in it the old you like jordan peterson often would talk about is is the old you kind of has to burn away for the new Mm -hmm. you to be born Mm -hmm. so like your mistakes are that Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't call them even mistakes or mistakes on a certain level, of course. Um, bad things do happen. We do do bad things. But um, to see them only as bad is, is to be rigid about it, I believe. Is it
0: fair to say then, you know, we're the, the, the uh, you know, whatever the ground of all the self the ground of being, you know, is this is this thing. And then we're trying to separate ourselves and grab and we're doing that. Then it's the shift to basically like, okay, that is just part of the ground of being itself. And then relating to that rather than identifying with that separation and then investing in that separation over and over. It's shifting back to return your attention investment and grounding to the other side of that. And then recognize you're going to maybe toggle or what go between that. But it's that, you know, it's that rotation in in the ground.
1: Because That, that, that again
0: doesn't cultivate it really ceases the cultivation of this part as opposed to like, oh, I'm going to now cultivate this.
1: In, in, in a sense, although I will say that maybe at first, but it won't even cease the cultivation of, of, of the conceptualized self, of the person you, of the, of the you with values. In fact, it'll put you in a better position to, to let that unfold because you are getting in your own way when you are identified with that. Mm. you're limiting yourself because you're saying this ought to be the case reality knows what ought to be because it is Mm -hmm. so by re-identifying by becoming again as you were as a child by cultivating that ability to shift back to that that state of Mm -hmm. essentially it's more than just absorption but you can think of it like that maybe um it allows you to go back even then to the place of person from a perspective of pure awareness, universal mm-hmm. awareness, unconditioned consciousness—that things don't have to be any particular way—and you can still go about your life and live a perfectly—I uh, forget exactly how you say it, but you know, uh, living wisely with uh, meaning and purpose, essentially. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. All right. So, cultivate uh, that presencing. In a particular kind of way the
1: coming uh, off force. Yeah.
0: the coming off, yeah
1: good it's it, if you're if you're watching romeo and juliet and the actors are so so identified with their roles that they actually poison themselves and kill themselves on stage that's what we're talking about this level of confusion all right you, they are just actors mm-hmm. we need to remember that they're actors and we need to remember that we are just playing our roles here sometimes we I'm get sure. too caught up in it because it's fun all even right. the suffering is fun All right. Okay. So it's a a shift in that.
0: All right. Well, cool. I I really appreciate the tour and the embodiment uh, and the present scene of wherever it took us uh, and, and, you know, and and the capacity to wake us to identify with that
1: in a new sort of way. Well, thank you so much for having me, Greg. As you know, I've been very anxious and, and desired to, to share my perspective more on things for quite some time um hopefully i'll have a, more of an opportunity to do so once i have this better organized uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah no, for people watching it please you know reach out to me if you have questions this is we'll put some is, contact
0: I, information in the notes before that's well. be beautiful yeah all right nick cool well really appreciate the the tour and uh i look forward to posting start. Right. awesome thanks all that. right you take care bye, bye.